Good morning. My name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead uh, and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer. And this morning, I don't want to brag, but I doubled as a troubleshooter for our tech team, uh, which if you know me, I'm not really known for techie things, but I did. What what I mean by that is I tripped over the power cord uh, and unplugged everything to do with the sound system. uh, And that's how they realized there was actually a problem with the power cord. So, you know, I don't like to brag, but uh, I kind of caused the problems and then realized, I don't know if y'all remember this. There was an old, old movie, The Naked Gun. Um, There was a bomb that they were trying to defuse and he trips over the power cord and does it. And that's what I felt like. But that's not what I'm here to share with you. Uh, A couple quick announcements for you. Uh, First off, if you are new, and I've met a couple of you already that are brand new to Redeemer, uh, let's say this is your first Sunday to be with us. uh, Or if you've been around for a few weeks or a few months or listen, some of you, a few years, uh, but have not let us know that you're here, we would love for you to do that. Uh, You can do that by texting connect to the number here on the screen or swing by the tent on your way out and someone from the connections team can get you connected. Uh, Also, as you probably know, text info to the same number and we will get you our weekly announcements and updates about things going on uh, in the life of the church. And second big announcement, um, drum roll please. All right, Church in the Park is the next two Sundays, and everybody uh, cross their fingers, pray, knock on wood. Uh, I just looked at the forecast, massive cold front headed our way. Uh, It's going to be, check this out, a high right now is the forecast on uh, Sunday, July 2nd of 98 degrees. Amen. Could you imagine? We'd be excited about 98 degrees, and lo and behold, here we are. Uh, The next two Sundays is Church in the Park. Um, So we have done this, I believe, every year since we've been a church, seven and a half years, uh, where we take some time and we go, we'll have one service uh, at Church in the Park at Hogan Park at nine o'clock. We will have breakfast. We will have, uh, at least at one of those, um, July 9th, we'll have some baptisms. Uh, So some of y'all, you're like, hey, after this summer, baptism sounds great. Uh, Make sure that it's a spiritual thing, but do let us know if you want to be baptized. We have plenty of room for that. Uh, So just make sure that you don't show up here, that you show up at Hogan Park, uh, 9 a.m. Uh, the next two Sundays. Sound good? Sound good? All right. Uh, let me invite you to turn. I'm actually going to be in a lot of different uh, uh, verses and chapters of God's Word today, but go ahead and get to Ephesians 2, uh, and I'll get there here in a few moments. Uh, in the fourth century, um, there was a very influential Christian man named Augustine. Um, here's a picture of I'm just kidding. They didn't have cameras in 350 AD. Uh, But Augustine, he said something about the gospel of John or the book of John uh, that is applicable to the the whole Bible, I think, and and the gospel itself. He said this, um, that it's shallow enough for a child to play in, uh, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Uh, Many of y'all have heard that meaning. the, the, the message of Jesus and the story of the Bible, it's simple enough for a six-year-old kid to understand it and to believe it and to respond to it. Yet it is deep enough that the smartest of all theologians can spend their lives plumbing their depths and never going to exhaust um, the riches in Christ in the gospel. Uh, and, and Jesus was very, very effective at doing both of those things. Uh, he could take someone that was very far from God, had zero theological 
vocabulary and explained to them, oftentimes through stories and parables, what the gospel was. Just made it very accessible to everyone. And he could get into the, the deepest theological conversations and debates uh, with the smartest philosophers of the day, the most educated religious folks, and still had things to teach them. Uh, and so this series that we're doing this summer, uh, we call it Christianity 101. Uh, and, and we want to make things uh, very simple and accessible. But what that is doing and what I've heard uh, from many of you over the last few weeks is it's doing both of those things. And praise the Lord. Uh, like some of you, you're brand new to church. You don't uh, know much about the Bible. And praise God that you're here. And, and we just want to make it very accessible if you don't have the big uh, glossary of theological terms. Um, but also even some of the most basic foundational things, we're just never going to plumb the depths of them. Um, so week one, we looked at what does it mean to, to, to be made in what we call the imago day, or that's Latin for the image of God, that humans bear the imprint of God uh, in our being. Uh, then we looked at sin, just what does it truly mean that uh, humanity and the world has been broken by sin? Last week, uh, we looked at grace. Uh, what does it mean that God uh, gives and saves and does things by grace, uh, free, unmerited uh, favor? And today we are looking at faith. Everybody say faith. Very, very important uh, topic, monumental theme in the Bible, mentioned over 500 times. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a couple things real quick for you to consider why it's important that we really nail what faith is, uh, because there are some statements made about faith in the Bible that are huge. And if, as I read these, we should kind of feel the way like, wow, we should really, really understand what faith is because Hebrews 11 says this in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. Like that's a big deal. If you want to please God, you've got to figure out something about faith because it's impossible to do without it. He says, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Romans 14, 23, Paul says this, everything that does not come from what? Faith is sin. That's a big statement. You're like, I would like to not sin. Then you need to understand faith. We need to understand what faith is. And Jesus would say, even if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Faith is an incredibly important thing for us to understand. And we often use the word and throw the word out often, but we're going to take time today uh, to really drill down and understand what is truly, what is faith? So that's the first question I want to pose. Uh, what is is faith. Oftentimes, uh, and I looked at like Merriam-Webster's and, you know, many places where you can catch a very quick definition. Uh, oftentimes, they will define faith as belief uh, or a synonym of faith as belief or believing. Uh, and I think that's accurate to a, an extent, but in some measure, that's just, that does not really uh, paint the full biblical picture of what faith truly is uh, when we talk about it. I think that the word trust uh, is a much better, more accurate uh, word for faith um, because the Bible would say that uh, even Satan and demons believe that God exists, right? But their faith is not in him. Why? Because though they believe and they know certainly that he exists and they believe in him that way, they don't trust him, okay? Uh, so I, I think trust is, is a helpful uh, way for us to understand uh, faith. And so this is the working definition um, that I put together this week. I think it's very simple, but also helpful uh, for what I think faith is when we talk about it biblically. So here it is on the screen. Uh, faith is to trust. 
okay? Trust in God, uh, trust in his word, in his promises, in his intentions, and in his heart. Trust in those things. That's what we mean when we talk about faith. Uh, Over this week, I realized that faith is easier uh, oftentimes to uh, demonstrate than it is to define Um, because we can define it, um, but sometimes it's easier to really understand it if we uh, demonstrate it. Uh, When I was a kid going to youth camp, uh, we would often do the trust fall. Has anyone in the room ever done or seen the trust fall? So this is what would happen uh, is they would, uh, they would choose someone or you would, you know, you know nominate yourself and, and you would come up on a stage like this and all the kids in the room would be cheering and, and you're the person that's on the front. They would take you up to uh, the ledge, the edge of this stage, and then they'd turn you around uh, backwards and they get six other volunteers, your peers, right? And that's when you knew like things were not going to end well. And you had three line up here and three line up here and they kind of uh, face each other and they hold their hands and then you're supposed to turn around uh, and you're supposed to demonstrate faith and trust by falling into the arms of your uh, friends slash enemies, okay? And that was just like a a powerful demonstration of uh, faith or trust. But what you had with the trust fall was three different types of people, or or people would respond in three different ways. Uh, One would be uh, like the person that is like, no, (laughs) heck no, I'm not doing this. That's my sister. I don't trust her. I'm not going to trust them, put my faith in them. And so I just don't do it. That's the first uh, person. Um, The second person would say, yes, uh, I trust them. I have faith in them. Um, But then when it comes time for the crowd to say one, two, three, and for them to fall, they wouldn't fall, which would what? Demonstrate, well, you, you said you trusted them, but you really don't trust them because trust is proven by actions. That's why James, we don't have time to drill into this, but he says uh, faith is demonstrated by works. You prove that you, uh, that you trust something by what you do. Uh, but then the third person uh, would be the person that uh, deeply trusts and has faith and turns around, uh, crosses their arms, falls back, and nine times out of ten, they caught them, Right? And what you learn from that person is like you just know without a shadow of a doubt that that person had faith or they truly, it's not that they believed those six people existed. They they didn't have faith in an idea. They trusted those people and and you saw that demonstrated by what they do. Uh, Trust is often easier demonstrated uh, than it is defined. Okay, how can you tell if someone trusts Jesus fully, faith in him? Well, over time, it it changes our lives and we have works that show that, right? I'm not going to get into all that. That's for another day. Um, But what is faith? It is truly trusting God, trusting his word, his promises, his intentions, and his heart. It's not just knowing and believing information. It's trusting God as a person, as a being, Jesus as a person. Okay, next question is, it's very important, especially in our day and age, uh, who is a person of faith? Raise your hand if you're a person of faith. Trick question. Everybody raise your hand (laughs) because that's the real answer. Every single person lives by faith. Like there's just no way around uh, not living your life by faith because um, like, let's just paint this image of of kind of a chasm, a canyon between you and um, eternity or what you hope to be true or uh, things about um, the the meaning of life. And and there's just like, 
there's only so much information about to get us across. At some point, no matter what you believe, you put your faith in something for your identity, uh, for your hope of eternity, for what you believe to be true. Um, so there is just, there's no options about are we people of faith or are we not? The only option is what are you going to put your faith in? A Buddhist has faith, they're a person of faith. Uh, a Muslim and a Hindu, they're people of faith. They have uh, their trust in certain uh, leaders and certain truths and certain things that are promised to bring uh, enlightenment or peace or uh, a pathway to heaven or whatever it might be. Uh, even in our day and age, someone who would say they're just a good person, um, they're very moral um, uh, we would call this a religious person. Um, they have faith in their ability to be good and to do good works. Uh, even an atheist is a person of faith. Uh, I had a friend years ago that was a very, I would say, uh, stout or devout atheist, and we had some interesting uh, conversations, and he said, I just, I believe there is no, there's no God. There is just no God. There is no meaning to life. There is no absolute moral code. And I said, and you believe that with all your heart? He said, yeah. It's like, Gotcha. <laughs> like, you, you don't believe in God, but you believe with all your heart. You put all of your faith and trust in the fact that there is no God. That is a life of faith. Every single human being is going to operate out of faith. So the question is, what are you putting your faith in? Because we're, we need to zoom back and kind of examine the landscape to see what the most faithful, trustworthy thing, idea, or being is to put our faith in. But I think it's so important to realize there's just no option of not being a person by faith. There's too many questions about life. We, we live by faith. Uh, and, and, and so like Jesus just steps in and for me provides the most um, unbelievably logical answer with the most facts about the most trustworthy person. So uh, who's a person of faith? All of us. Uh, and that's kind of get us up to the, the diving board, at least for uh, today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you were there, say ready. Uh, this is what we read actually last week. Uh, so this was the verse we looked at uh, as home base when we were unpacking what does grace truly mean. Uh, and so we're going to look at the other side of grace, actually. Um, Paul says this to a, a group of Christians, a church in Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved, okay? He's talking to Christians, uh, and he uses the word saved uh, to describe a Christian. And uh, we're going to unpack actually that word saved or salvation, what that means later on this summer. Uh, but a Christian is someone who has been saved from something. Uh, been saved from sin, been saved from uh, hell, been saved from ourselves, uh, been saved from a lot of things to Jesus. Uh, and, and how have we been saved? He says, by grace, but, but, you, but think about grace as what God gives to us. If you're a Christian, you're saved. Amen? You should be way more excited about that. <laughs> Go outside, and then you'll feel hell, and then you'll come back in and be so much more grateful for it, right? By grace, like that's what, that was God. That's what God gave us. If you're a Christian, it's because God gave you grace. What was it that, 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 that like what's our part? What do we contribute? By grace, you have been saved through faith. That's what we give. The interchange is uh, our faith, his grace, uh, through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We don't give works and get grace, we have faith. We trust, we believe in Christ, who he is, what he's done, and then God gives us grace. Uh, Faith is the other side in in some regard uh, to grace. Grace is the free gift that God gives, uh, and, and we don't we don't purchase it by works, uh, we receive it by faith, meaning we trust fully in Jesus in our place for our sins, his word being true and his heart being for us. Um, Faith, if you just look at the life of Jesus, uh, faith was what Jesus was looking for. It's what, when someone showed up with true trust and faith in him, uh, it just, it moved him, uh, and it moved him to act, it moved him to heal, uh, it moved him to dole out grace in many measures. Uh, We could spend all day doing this. I'm going to give you, I don't know, four, five, six options real quick. Um, There was a Roman centurion who was a leader over some some soldiers, uh, and he comes with a a paralyzed, sick, suffering servant, uh, and just truly has faith and believes in uh, Jesus trusts in his abilities, uh, and Jesus responds to him in Matthew 8, 10, it says, truly I tell you, uh, no one in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And because of the centurion's faith, then Jesus acts, he moves, he gives grace, he does something. Uh, there were four friends um, that had a paralyzed friend, and they knew Jesus was in town, and you know the story, many of you do, uh, so they go up on the top of the house, and they cut a hole, and they, they lower uh, the paralyzed friend down, and Jesus, uh, get this, doesn't immediately heal him. Instead, he, um, he, he meets his greatest need, and he says, your sins are forgiven, but this is how he responds. In Mark 2, he says, when Jesus saw their faith. He's like, wow, they really trust me. They really trust who I am and what I can do. He says, when he saw their faith and he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. There's a woman uh, in uh, Mark chapter 5 who we're told has an issue with blood. Very, very bad physical condition, uh, bleeding all the time. And she comes to Jesus and Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. She trusted Jesus, who he was, what he could do. He says, go in peace and be healed. Uh, Blind Bart, okay, blind Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10, uh, he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. There were 10 lepers that showed up, Uh, Jesus healed them all, nine left, one returned to say thank you, and in Luke 17, Jesus said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Uh, There was a sinful woman that the Bible calls a woman of the city, and you can read into that to understand what he's saying about her. And in Luke chapter 7, he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Over and over and over, you see what moved the heart of Jesus was faith. When people truly trusted who he said that he was and what he said that he could do. It's what what Jesus is, is after. And so grace is his response not to works, but to people that put their faith and their hope and their trust in him. Okay, in our culture, this is important because there's something that faith is not, uh, yet I feel like oftentimes this is what our our world characterizes Christian faith as they uh, mock us sometimes, uh, sometimes, and this is especially true uh, in uh, in educational settings, um, in, in, in public universities, they're going to paint a picture that uh, Christian faith is just based on absolute um, nothing, that there's no facts behind it, that it's just uh, preposterous, and that's just simply not true. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark with no evidence and no facts, okay? You know that. Many of you know that, but you need to be reminded of that 
Like some of the most brilliant, fact-driven minds in the history of the planet have been Christians. Why? Well, it's not because there's no evidence and no facts. Arguably, the most brilliant mind that the United States of America has ever produced uh, was Jonathan Edwards, who was a Christian pastor. It's like there, there, you can go throughout history in, in a lot of different countries and places and find people that were so set to find the truth and evidence and fact, and it led them not away from Jesus in the Bible, but towards it. Lee Strobel is an unbelievable example. Um, he set out to disprove um, Christianity, the Bible, and Jesus, and was so utterly convinced that he turned his life around, gave his life to Jesus, and he's been writing books about Jesus ever since. It's just, it's just not true that there's no facts behind Christianity and no evidence. I would make the case if you look around at all the different options to place your faith, by far, Jesus has given us the most proof, the most verifiable evidence that he is trustworthy. Like facts and evidence can get us a long way, but then faith gets us all the way. Right? Jordan alluded to that uh, even a few moments ago. Um, well, let's move on because they didn't put the timer up, so we could be here a while. Uh, so like, that's just a little bit of groundwork, a little bit of foundation about what faith is. And I want to take some time to go through three things. These are kind of like uh, my threefold encouragement for you for uh, sake of application. Uh, I want to encourage you to do three simple things, okay? These are uh, simple uh, not necessarily easy, and this will be enough homework to keep you busy for the rest of your life. Are you ready? If you're ready, say faith. faith. If you're ready, say it one more time. Faith. faith. All right, three very, very simple things that I want to encourage you towards by way of application. Number one, uh, to be born through faith. That means the only way you can become a Christian is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you are born. Again, that's how you start the journey. That's the only way uh, that you start the journey. And so if you're not a Christian, like this is the, what, what your invitation is from Jesus, to trust him, to believe who he said that he was, to believe he is God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in your place for your sins, and he will give you grace, save you, forgive you, adopt you, be, bring you into his family forever. He will do all those things if you believe if you have faith, if you trust, that's the only way that you get born into the family of God. I want to read from Luke uh, chapter 23. You can turn there. You can follow along here on the screen. And there are so many examples that we could use of people that were assured that they were saved, uh, would be with Jesus forever because of faith. Uh, this just happens to be the one I picked for this morning. Uh, this is who we call the criminal on the cross, okay? Uh, the criminal on the cross. There were three people that were crucified the day that Jesus was, or at least on Golgotha that day. And we're told that story in Luke chapter 23, and it goes like this. Um, to, Luke records it this way. He says, two others, uh, obviously he had been talking about Jesus, Jesus being crucified in the middle of three crosses, and he says there were two others. They were criminals. And in the first century Roman world, you had to be a very, very bad criminal to have, been, have done very, very, very bad things to be crucified. 
okay? It's not just like, oh, he was speeding his chariot on the loop around Jerusalem and let's crucify him. It's like, no, this was like high level top, very, very wicked, 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 sinful criminals being crucified next to Jesus. Um, And they were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, that's Golgotha, that's the hill Jesus was crucified on, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. We'll skip down to verse 39. One of the criminals, okay, we'll just say it was this side, this this criminal uh, was hanged and he railed at Jesus. And he says, aren't you the Christ? Won't you save yourself and us? But the other one rebuked the first one saying, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly. Okay, so this guy is like, he's honest. He's like, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we deserve, like what we did, we deserve to be crucified, but not Jesus. We uh, indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, he turns to Jesus, I don't know how close they were. They were close enough to talk as they were being crucified and hear one another. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Faith. Faith. (laughs) That's it. That is it. That is the only thing that man had is he believed Jesus was a savior of sinners. A few hours, that man gets to be with Jesus in paradise forever. Why? Because he received Jesus' grace because of his faith in Jesus. He was born again. That's the only way that you become a Christian, that you're saved from sin and death and hell and the grave and fear and guilt and shame and all of the things that come with sin is through being born again through faith. What does that mean? It doesn't mean believing that Jesus existed. It means trusting in Christ. First thing, be born through faith. Number two, live your life by faith. Okay, so you're born by faith. That's the only way that you become a Christian. And and once you do, then, well, how do we live our lives? By faith. Uh, we, We live our lives the same way that we came into the kingdom. Colossians 2 says this, in the same way that you received Christ, uh, so walk in him. And if we receive Christ by grace through faith, well, how do you live your life as a Christian? The same way, by faith and trusting in who Jesus is, what he has said, what he has done, receiving grace all the way. We live our lives by faith. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul says this. Uh, He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means the only way that you become a Christian is by trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in him. And the way we are to live our lives is to constantly and consistently trust Christ. That means to trust in his saving work day by day, but it also means to trust his word. If he tells us to do something, we do it. Why? Not because we understand it all the time, but because we trust him. 
We, we, we obey him. Why? Well, we don't understand always. Like my children don't always understand why we ask them to do things. But uh, if they trust us, then they obey. The entire life of the Christian is us trusting that he is who he said he is, that he can do what he said he can do, that his promises to us in his word are true, that his intentions are pure, that he can be trusted and he can be obeyed. Born through faith. Live your life by faith. You might have guessed what number three is. uh, Die in faith. (laughs) Die in faith. And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time working my way through uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. uh, Because um, Hebrews chapter 11 is oftentimes referred to uh, as the the hall of faith. Or uh, just uh, like it is the most densely calorically densely packed place that you can go and really look at and understand faith. It runs through a ton of examples of people uh, that lived by faith. But then it also explains what happens to them. Because there were some really, really unbelievably cool, powerful, incredible things that happened to half of them. There were some really, really difficult and sad things that happened to the other half. But what did they have in common? Uh, They died in faith. And you're going to see how important this is. Okay, so for many of you, this is your journey. You've been a Christian for years, maybe for decades. Uh, Keep living by faith. But the goal is to get to the end and still to die in faith. Hebrews 11 says this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So that's one definition of faith that the author of Hebrews gives us. He says, for by it, for by faith, the people of the Old Testament received their commendation. So it's not even that the New Testament, oh, the New Testament is about grace and faith. What's the Old Testament about? Grace and faith. That's how the Old Testament heroes that we read about, that we tell stories about, why are they commended? Because of their faith in the coming Christ. And then he walks through Noah. He says, well, Noah was one. Abraham was one. Sarah, she lived her life by faith. Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And he just goes through a ton of examples. These people lived their life and died in faith. And then I'm going to pick up in verse 13. I'm going to read a a big chunk of this chapter. Uh, I hope that it uh, stirs and encourages your heart to live and to die in faith. Uh, After he walks through a lot of examples in verse 13, he says, these all died in faith. Okay, what does that mean? That means that when they died, when, when their life came to an end, they were still believing and trusting Jesus, and they, there was not a full, they didn't have all of their questions answered. They didn't know and see everything. So they died in faith, and he says, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Meaning there was a prize that they were living their lives for that they had not fully found in this life. Jesus was their prize. For people who speak thus, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Have you ever been there? Like just you look around you're like this place is broken 
It is hurting. I desire a better place. This is not my home. I'm an alien and a stranger, and I want to be with Jesus. That's how these people lived and died. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Skip down to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me. He's like, I got a whole long list of other people that live by faith. I just don't have time. Time would fail me to tell you of what Gideon did and Barak and uh, Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith. And then look at these two, two different, very different lists of like what happened to people that lived and died by faith. Some of them, he says, conquered kingdoms. Wow. That's awesome. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. What an unbelievable thing that God did for those that lived in faith. He did not do that for everyone. Listen to what happened to some of them. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. This is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, of whom the world was not worthy. Do y'all know that's taken place all over the world? Like to, to be a Christian living in the, the peace and the, and the relative tranquility that we get to live in our country is, is um, we're the minority like th- so this is not just a, a first century thing. This is still like what it means in many places to be a Christian and to live and to die by faith. And he's like, the world wasn't even worthy of them. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and all of these, the, the, the ones that had a, a good outcome, so to speak, and a bad outcome, all of them were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised on this side of the grave since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the goal of the Christian, right? To be born by faith, trust in Jesus, to live your life by faith, trusting in Jesus, to die in faith, trusting in Jesus until you see him and experience the full promise for ever. Last thing, and I'm done, is what is the object of our faith? Uh, Because the object of our faith is very important, um, contrary to what Oprah might have you believe. I saw something years ago on Oprah uh, where she was uh, voicing a very popular sentiment in our culture um, that she said something to the effect of, it really does not matter what you believe in, you just need to have a very sincere faith. And so all the different religions, it doesn't matter. There's not one that's true and false. It just matters that you're very sincere in your heart and your faith, and then you'll be okay. Uh, that does not make sense on, in any realm in life, okay? It just doesn't. The object of your faith matters a great deal. 
much more than the strength of our faith. And Keller says it this way. I love this. He says, if you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. So here's the question. What is the object of your faith? What do you trust in? There has to be a shift for every human being in trust, in what we are trusting in to Jesus in order for us to be forgiven and saved for eternity. And so for some of you, maybe it's a, it's a shift from trusting in, in, in Buddha and what he says or trusting in uh, Muhammad and what he says or trusting in Joseph Smith and what he has and, and shifting in, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's one of those for you. It's shifting your trust from them to Jesus. But for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us in the room, what has to happen is for us to shift from trusting in ourselves and our ability to be good and our morality and our record to trusting in Jesus. Because it's easy, well, I don't trust in them and them and them, but just like we, we put a lot, of, a lot of trust in our own efforts and we have to shift all of that over to the shoulders of Jesus. So where is your faith? In whom do you trust? Some of you need to be born again this morning to, like, to, tr to trust in Jesus as a Savior. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up in your heart the faith to believe, to be born again, that your life would be marked by a change this morning. If you're a Christian, just simply, oftentimes all a preacher is is a reminder not giving new information, just reminding us of the same old thing. Walk by faith, trusting in Jesus so that when we get to the end, we die in faith. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. For by grace, we have been saved through faith. This is not of our own doing, Jesus. It's a gift from you so that we may not boast in anything but you. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you have given us unbelievable evidence that, uh, God, even the evidence that the Bible is your word and that you truly did physically live your life, you died your death, you rose from the dead, you convinced hundreds of people uh, that you were alive again. God, this is all truly built on verifiable evidence, but I pray that you might give us the faith to believe in you for the steps where we don't have all of the answers. God, I pray for those in the room this morning that need to be born again through faith, that you would allow them to transfer all of their trust over to you, and that you are a, a good Savior, that you save people, you forgive, you save. I pray for those of us who are walking this journey, that you would help us know what it truly means to live by faith, and that you would find us faithful to die in faith so we can be with you in glory. We love you. Jesus, I pray that you would uh, be worshiped in these next few moments. No one is, is worthy of that like you are. No one has done what you have done. No one deserves the praise and the glory and the honor from our lives like you do. So I pray that you might stir that up in us. We love you. We praise you. And I thank you for our time together this morning. Pray this, Jesus, through your name and through your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.